I'm Jessica Peresta, host of the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, it's Anne here with a mini episode of Transparency in Teaching Podcast, the news edition. We used to start our episodes with education news, but, you know, uh, we got so long-winded as we talked about the main topics that we decided to cut that out. Well, lucky for you, I'm retired, so I have all kinds of time to update you on what's happening in the education world. The news edition will share news about the current policies and politics happening that affect our teaching world. So this little in-between bonus episode will show up in your feed now and then to ensure you're up to date on the latest ed news. So let's get up to date on these stories right after this. started with this week's news. This episode features three news stories that I feel may set the tone for schools and districts across the country. As we know, one district's policies, and often the politics that give birth to them, can act as a bellwether that encourages other education establishments to adopt them. Knowing what is happening and why is important for being prepared for what might soon be coming to a district near you. So let's get started. The Office of Civil Rights determines penalties for Forsyth County book bans. I'm sure by now you've heard plenty of news stories about books being removed from the shelves of school libraries. One district that faced complaints about its book removals is Forsyth County Schools, a school district in Georgia. After a recent review of the situation by the U.S. Department of Ed, Forsyth County Schools has entered into an agreement with the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, the OCR about how to rectify the creation of what was deemed a hostile environment in schools due to the removal of certain books from school libraries. The district was accused of removing books from school libraries that dealt with LGBTQ and BIPOC topics. The district, however, claimed to be reviewing books for sexually explicit materials they deemed inappropriate for certain age groups. Some students and families complained that this was creating a hostile environment for some students and that the district had made no effort to discuss with students the impact of book removals. As a result, the OCR is requiring the district to take two steps. First, the county has been ordered to post notifications in prominent locations around their schools, advising students of why and how books are being reviewed. The notices must also give students directions on how to file a complaint if they feel the school has created a hostile environment. Second, The district must administer a student climate survey and send the results of the survey and the resulting recommendations to the OCR. The district monitoring will continue until the OCR deems the district is compliant with the agreement. Do you think the OCR's requirements went far enough to mitigate any issues about creating hostile environments or informing students about why and how books are being removed? 
Does this help students understand or get access to books that they might otherwise think they should have? What's your opinion? Leave a comment down below. Our second story is about Nebraska, which has just approved a taxpayer-funded school choice through the Opportunity Scholarships Act. The Opportunity Scholarships Act bill, approved last month, gives a generous $25 million in tax credits to people who donate to a scholarship-granting organization. These organizations will fund and then distribute the scholarships to parochial and private schools, allowing low-income families to afford to attend private schools. This could eventually be raised to $100 million, depending on the demand for the credits. Taxpayers can donate half of their state tax liability to private school scholarships. This means it allows taxpayers to divert those funds from use for other state services, such as public schools and universities. Proponents say these tax scholarships have the ability to transform communities and help increase academic achievement for students who need a different type of school environment that they could not previously afford. Garing Senator Brian Harding suggested it will allow families who are concerned about bullying or other public school issues to be able to choose the school they feel is the best fit for their child. Opponents believe that this bill is an overly generous tax break for the wealthiest Nebraskans and could potentially violate the separation of church and state and could end up damaging public schools and communities by diverting money away from them. But Nebraska Senator Tom Brisey counters this. He says the $25 million is nothing compared to the $2 billion the state already sets aside for public education. Lincoln Senator George Duncan noted in Arizona, however, that two large scholarship granting organizations misused donations and that private schools actually raised tuition after the Scholarship Grant Funding Act was passed. This ended up pricing out even some middle-income families from choosing private schools, and the number of students of color in private Arizona schools didn't rise. There are currently 24 scholarship tax credit programs like this one in 19 states, of which Nebraska is now one. According to the Education Commission of the States, scholarship tax credit programs provide a tax credit to businesses and individual taxpayers for donating funds to scholarship granting organizations. Nonprofit organizations then manage and distribute those donated funds in the form of private school tuition scholarships to eligible students. If you'd like to know a list of the states that have a scholarship tax credit program, I'll be publishing that on our website. Another common way to use public monies to pay for private education is vouchers, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about. This is different. Vouchers, on the other hand, are currently in 27 programs in 16 states and the District of Columbia. School vouchers are state-funded programs, often called scholarship programs, that allow students to use public monies to attend a private school. The state provides a set amount of money, typically based on the state's per-pupil amount for private school tuition. How do you feel about public money going to private schools? Or is it okay for taxpayers to decide how a portion of their tax money should be spent? Leave your comments down below. Let us know what you think. Finally, Tennessee is to implement a retention policy for non-proficient third grade readers. I recently did a podcast on Tennessee, retaining third graders who are not reading on grade level 
And I mentioned I'd update you on whether or not the bill was passed. Well, the bill, what, which was passed on April 20th and sent to the governor's desk for signing, is not scheduled to take effect until the next school year, 23-24. That allows this year's third graders to move along without needing to meet the grade level mark. Fair warning, this year's second graders and their parents, you'd best be doing a bunch of reading over the summer because next year they're not gonna get off so easily. The law has certain parameters that explain how it should be implemented. First of all, it permits students who are approaching proficiency on the TCAP or the Tennessee Comprehensive Assessment Program and who also score in the 50th percentile on the previous benchmark test to automatically be promoted to the fourth grade, as long as summer school and tutoring options are available. However, it didn't state that those things were required for parents to take advantage of. They just stated that they had to be available. It also allows schools and school districts to help parents of retained third graders with the paperwork to appeal the retention to the Tennessee Department of Education. Currently, if students are retained, schools are not allowed to assist in the appeals process. The new law requires tracking data on the success of summer school, tutoring, and student retention to be reported to the Tennessee General Assembly to measure the policy's success. It also requires any student who is retained from kindergarten to third grade to be assigned a tutor to help them catch up. It also permits Tennessee's Department of Education to contract with up to three qualified tutoring agencies to ensure enough tutors are available. Sounds to me like it might be time to start a tutoring business. There are certain students who are exempt. For example, English language learners who have had less than two years of ELA instruction and those who have already been held back a grade are exempt. Which kind of sounds funny because what if the students still are not at grade level by the time they make up the grade that they were held back on? Do they just move on at that point? Another way to get around it is if the students retest and pass the test before the beginning of the next school year. So it does also does not state how that is to be, um, how those tests are to be given out. Like, do these parents have to pay for them? Are there testing centers? That information was not in the content of the law that I read. Do you think that Tennessee's plan will work? I know that a lot of districts are talking about the third grade problem of pushing kids on in social promotion. Do you think it does enough to ensure that students will be reading at the grade level before they're moved on? So that's a wrap for the three stories for this episode. Let us know your feelings about this episode's news stories, or if you have an education news story that you feel needs to be shared. Let us know in the comments section or leave us a voice message. We'd love to feature your comments on our next episode. And so for now, this is Anne signing out saying that's the news.